Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. People's Church, hello. It's good to see you. All right. Great to be with you. No better way to start the week than with you here in God's house. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out to our worship team for the song that we open with today, uh, Fire by C.C. Winans. That is a challenging song, and we need a Holy Spirit fire. So thank you, worship team, for leading us off today. Pastor Jordan, once again, welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I want to watch a video with you. This is actually from just last year. Uh, this is... This is the Yellowstone River in Montana, and you can see a home teetering on the edge, and the ground gives way, and the entire house slips into the raging Yellowstone River. Now, one of the comments on this video said, kudos to the home builder, because look, that house is still intact as it floats down the river, even though... I think it's a total loss. Jesus says if we listen to what he teaches but fail to put what he teaches into practice, it is like building a house on a river without a foundation. That house collapsing into the river. This is sad to see. However, Jesus also says, if we do put into practice what he teaches, it is like a wise carpenter, like a wise carpenter who digs deep and puts a foundation on a rock. Even in natural disasters, when the wind, when the rain, when the high water of life comes crashing in, that house, that house will not be shaken. This is where we rejoin our Sunday morning message series, Relevant, Relevant, How God Speaks. We've said that in our culture, what is relevant today is obsolete tomorrow. What's relevant today is obsolete tomorrow. Answering machines, arcades, traveler's checks. What once was relevant is obsolete tomorrow. What once was useful is no longer useful because it's been replaced by what is better, by what is faster, by what is stronger, or by what is easier. Yet, totally counterculturally, totally counterculturally, the scripture that makes up our Bible, the 66 books that make up our Bible, that scripture is just as relevant today as the day that it was written. Incredible. The Bible is relevant because sin still separates and God still saves. The Bible is still relevant because it's how God speaks to us. In fact, we call the Bible God's word. And God does with our Bible what you and I do when something is really important. He put it in writing. He put it in writing. Last week, we talked about how Jesus, yes, he speaks truth, 
Jesus speaks truth, but beyond being one who just speaks truth, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus makes this bold statement that I don't just speak truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. By the way, if you write the sentence in your Word software, whether it's Microsoft Word or Google Docs, uh, what happened for me when I wrote the sentence, Jesus is truth, it actually flagged that statement as being incorrect grammar. Correct grammar would say that you cannot call a person truth. And in fact, you can't say that about any other person who's ever lived. But you can say it about Jesus. Jesus is truth. So this message series that we are in right now, Relevant, How God Speaks, it actually tracks with a home Devo series that you can do through the free Bible Engagement Project app. You can download the Bible Engagement Project. It is free. Uh, there are Devos that you can do to bring this to life in your own home. Teachings that you can do with your kids or grandkids. Uh, there's also adult level teaching, teen level teaching for you to bring this at home to reinforce what's happening in church. And by the way, as we are teaching about this on Sunday mornings, they're teaching about the same topic, related message series in youth on Wednesday night. They're teaching about the same topic, a related series in PC Kids that happens at the same time as we are gathered here in the sanctuary because we believe it's a good thing if the whole church is talking about the same thing. So what we're going to see today is that Jesus, Jesus desires that we would be more than listeners. He desires for us to be people of action. It's more than just listening to the word. It, Jesus is interested in guiding us to live out the word. The Bible is relevant because it guides us toward hope in eternity. The Bible is relevant because it guides us to hope for the present. The Bible is relevant because it guides us to become more like Jesus. And the Bible is relevant because it guides us to a deeper understanding of a heavenly father who deeply loves us and desires relationship with each and every one of us. So I invite you to open up your word with me today or power up your app to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. This is what is known as the Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Plain. Where we pick up this event on the timeline of history, Jesus has just recruited the 12 who we now call the apostles. And they come down from the mountain to what Luke describes as a large level area, a large level area. That's why we call it the Sermon on the Plain. And in the final part of this sermon, Jesus asks a question. Jesus asks a question. You know, when Jesus asks a question, he's never asking because he needs information. Jesus never asks a question because he lacks information. Questions asked by Jesus are never asked for his benefit, but for our benefit. So Jesus asks a question. He's asking them then, and he's asking us this question today. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus says, why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I wonder if Jesus was making direct eye contact with any one individual in the crowd when he asked that question. And I would not want to be that person. 
Because Jesus invented communication and he is the greatest communicator, he would know the power of a pause in this moment. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Pause. People are wondering, is he, is he talking to me? Oh, he's looking in the other direction. I wonder what that guy did. When really church, really church, Jesus is not just asking one of us this question, he's actually challenging each and every one of us with this question. He's looking into each one of our eyes and he's looking into our soul, saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you to do? Lord, Lord, this repeated title is an expression of honor. It's an expression of honor. So Jesus is, is saying, by the way you listen, by the way you talk about me, you are expressing honor. But that's where it stops. You're not being people of action. I also notice in this moment when Jesus asks the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? He, he doesn't open up the floor for responses. He, he doesn't ask them to tell Give, give reasons why, but if we were to give reasons why it is sometimes or often difficult to live out what Jesus teaches, we might answer something like this. We might say, well, we don't always understand Jesus what you mean. We don't always understand what the Bible means. And if that's us, actually we have something in common with the disciples because there are times when the disciples, actually many times when the disciples asked for understanding Luke 8, 9 records a moment where the disciples asked Jesus, what does the parable mean that you just taught us? Maybe when asked why we don't live out what Jesus teaches, we might say we're confused by what Jesus teaches. And once again, we'd have something in common with the disciples. Luke chapter 18, verse 34 says, they, the disciples, failed to grasp what he's talking about. They failed to grasp what he's talking about. So we are thankful for God's word and we are thankful for the Holy Spirit that if we ask God, he will help us to understand what his word says. Now, let's be real, all right? Let's be real with each other for just a minute. Sometimes we know exactly what Jesus would have us do in a scenario. We know what Jesus would have us to do in the set of circumstances that are in front of us and sometimes we don't do what Jesus would have us do because we don't want to. Can we just be real? Sometimes we don't do because, because we don't want to. And, and there's other times that we know what Jesus teaches us to do and we know that what we're doing doesn't align with God and his good ways, but we'd say, well, there haven't been any consequences so far, so why stop now? Or it could be, it could be church, it could be church that we know what Jesus is leading us to do. We know what he's calling us to do, but we get caught up in self-doubt or we feel incapable of living up to what Jesus teaches. And lastly, church, sometimes we get stuck in someday. Sometimes we get stuck in someday. We know what Jesus teaches. We know what he is leading us to do. We may even have a specific call on our life where he wants us to live out some specific purpose and we keep telling ourselves and maybe telling our Heavenly Father someday, 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 and yet someday never seems to come. So verse 47, Jesus goes on to say, everyone who comes to me and hears my word, words and does them, hears my words 
and does them, I will show you what that person's like. I'll show you what he is like. Verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. What Jesus describes as recorded by Luke is a man, uses an example, who took time. He took time and he took care. He took time and he took care to dig deep, to put down a foundation in the right place. And then when the storm later came, he was unshaken. He was unshaken because of that foundation. We have some great home builders who are part of our church. We have some great contractors who are part of our church family. And what I believe you would tell me if you are in that industry is that what Jesus says here holds true for building buildings. But Jesus is not holding a meeting for the Greater Capernaum Home Builders Association. He's not here to give construction advice about how to build houses to endure natural disasters that impact this region. What he is doing is using an illustration that even if we're not a home builder, we understand. A home, a house with a solid foundation will resist the flood. So if the foundation is Jesus Christ and what we build on the foundation matters, well, in this illustration, what is the flood? What is the flood? Well, I do know that when life ends this side of eternity, the Bible says that there is a consequence for our sin. Without Jesus, that consequence is forever separation in hell. And I know that's not a popular thing to say. But church, I also love you too much to not tell you about what the word of God says. With Jesus, no matter what storm the enemy throws our way, he cannot take away our hope for eternity. No matter what storm the enemy throws our way, he cannot take away our hope for eternity, that foundation is solid. Luke 49, Jesus says, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The ruin of that house was great. When that final test comes that is described in the Bible as a final judgment forecasted in the word, church, our life foundation matters. Our life foundation matters. In addition, Jesus is speaking to followers, to disciples who if they made the decision to continue to follow him on the horizon, they would face persecution. On the horizon, they would face tension even from within their own families for making the decision to be followers of Christ. And because they're real people, not all that different from you and me, they would face struggles in daily life. They would face fear and they would face anxieties. And so Jesus says, if your foundation, if your life foundation is found in me and you're living out my teaching, then what happens over time is a strengthening. It's a strengthening church that as the pressures, as the challenges of daily life come your way, over time you become better and better equipped 
to withstand and even thrive as the storms of life are crashing up against you. So we wrestle with this question. If we trust Jesus to save us, why do we struggle to allow him to lead us? If we trust Jesus to save us, why do we struggle to allow him to save us? Why is it sometimes, maybe even you'd admit often, why is it often difficult to live out what Jesus teaches? Some of the most well-known teachings of Jesus. I'm talking about teachings that even people who aren't followers of Christ, they would know these teachings. I'm talking about teachings of Jesus that are so well-known that there would be people that don't even know that that came from the Bible. Some of the most well-known teachings of Jesus are also the most difficult to live out. Matthew 7:12, we know this as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Maybe like me, you memorized that in the King James Version as a kid. Treat people the way you would want to be treated. Even when it's difficult, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not fair. Matthew 5:39. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, Jesus says, turn to him the other also. Challenging because Jesus is leading us to be compassionate toward those who have wronged us rather than going after revenge or retaliation. One of the great radical statements in the entire Bible, Matthew 5:44, love your enemies, Jesus says. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Be good to those who are not good to you. An enemy is a person who's hostile toward you. An enemy is a person who hates you. An enemy is a person who is actively working against what you are trying to do. And when Jesus says to love your enemies, he's not saying that we have to allow people to hurt us. He's not saying that we have to permit people to injure us emotionally, spiritually, or physically. But it does mean that Jesus may be calling us to forgive, which by definition is undeserved. Jesus may be leading us to respect someone even though they've done us wrong or to refuse to speak negatively about them to others. Jesus may be leading us to hospitality or it could mean a second, third, fourth, or fifth chance. And I know some of you, there's a relationship in your life where it's well beyond second, third, fourth, or fifth chance. You're like on chance number 79. Jesus says, Matthew 19, 21, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, when Jesus says this, it's important to remember that he's talking to one man at one point in history who is dealing with a specific set of struggles. And he's certainly not telling all of us that in order to be a follower of Christ, we all have to sell all of our possessions. But church, Jesus is challenging us to be willing to detach ourselves from our stuff if our stuff is preventing us from following him. Jesus is challenging us to be willing to part ways with our possessions if our possessions are getting in the way of pursuing our God-given purpose. And the parable of the Good Samaritan, again, a story that Kind of all people know, whether or not you're a Christ follower or not, the story of the third passerby who finally stopped and helped 
the person who had been wounded on the side of the road after an attack by thieves. As part of telling the parable of the Good Samaritan comes this line, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this parable, we see someone who is willing to be interrupted to show kindness to a stranger from another culture. Someone who's willing to be interrupted to show kindness to a stranger from another culture. If our eyes are open to this type of thing, what many of us would say we have experienced is that God brings Samaritan moments in front of all of us. Moments where we have a choice. Am I willing to set aside my plans to serve someone who may be very different in a difficult place? May I, am I willing to set aside my plans to serve someone who may be very difficult? Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Years after Jesus says this, Jesus' half-brother James would write, James 1.22, be doers of the word, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. <clears throat> James goes on to write that to be someone who listens to the word but doesn't obey the word, it's like looking at your face in the mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you look like. I've used this sermon illustration before and I'm gonna tell it again because I, I really like it. When I read this, that to look at, to, to listen to the word and to not obey what the word says is like looking in the mirror and forgetting what you look like. Um, it's, I have this picture of like a teenager and I'm not talking about any people's church teenagers. This is other teenagers from other places. I'm thinking of the teenager who comes out of their bedroom and comes into the living room. Mom and dad are sitting there and the teenager is a mess, a mess. Doritos in the teeth, boogers in the nose, hair all over the place, stinky armpits, T-shirt, it's like the third or fourth day with who knows what all over the shirt. Mom and dad look at the teenager. Teenager looks back, no words are spoken. And the teenager goes into the bathroom and is in the bathroom for five, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. And mom and dad are sitting in the living room thinking, this is really good. The teenager is in the bathroom realizing everything that needs to be cleaned up and will come out a new human. But then 30 minutes later, the teenager comes out and nothing has changed. Doritos still in the teeth, boogers still in the nose, hair a mess, stained t-shirts, stinky armpits. I'm glad you appreciate that, thank you. It just got like way too real for somebody in here. <laughs> and the mom and dad look at the teenager and it's like, well, you were just in the bathroom for 30 minutes. What were you doing in there? And we would say it's foolish if the teenager says, well, I looked in the mirror and I realized that I need to brush my teeth. I need to comb my hair. I need to put deodorant on. I need to change my t-shirt. And the parents would say, well, why didn't you do anything about it? Church, is that all that different? Is that all that different from being someone who listens to the word of God, someone who listens to the teachings of Jesus 
and knowing what God is leading us to do, realizing what God is asking us to start doing or stop doing, and then simply choosing not to follow through. Yes, when we talk about God's word guiding our life, we are talking about what many of us have in our Bible as the red letter sentences, the phrases that were spoken by Jesus. We're also talking about the actions, how Jesus lived, living like Jesus lived. And also, when we talk about using the word of God to guide our life, we're talking about the whole Bible from cover to cover. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it really is about Understanding what Jesus is teaching, which form our beliefs, and then asking ourselves the question, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Love your enemies, Jesus says. Okay, what are we going to do about that? Love your neighbors. What are we going to do about it? And you might be saying, well, have you met my neighbor? Go to the world and make disciples, Jesus says. What are we going to do about that? And one of the more challenging Parts of scripture, Jesus says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And Jesus goes on to clarify what he means by this is that when we take care of the least of these in our society, we are caring for them as if we were caring for Jesus himself. So church, the question is what? are we going to do about this? This year's Oregon March for Life is happening next Saturday, just down the street from where we are right now at the state capitol at 2 p.m. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Matthew, Psalm 139 says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Isaiah 49, the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb womb. Followers of Christ, if we believe that life begins in the womb, and as Christ followers, if we see that we actually, as the church, can be the answer to the overwhelmed foster care system in our state, church, the question that each of us ask individually and the question that we ask ourselves as a church is, what are we going to do about this? May we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers of the word. And if you're here today and you'd say, I am outside of relationship with Jesus Christ, first of all, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming and being open to what the word of God might speak to your heart today. If you're here and you're outside of relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus says, repent and turn to God. Repent, which means to turn away from living apart from God and turn toward your heavenly Father through his son, Jesus Christ. And so the question is, the great question of life is what are you going to do about that? All right. I just want to say, talking through these things, I can actually sense a little bit of discomfort, maybe a lot of discomfort in the room. When Jesus spoke to the disciples in his 
teachings with the disciples, when he spoke to the crowds, I get the sense that a lot of people were uncomfortable. When Jesus teaches, it makes us uncomfortable, uncomfortable because it comes up against our safety circle. It comes up against what is easy and challenges us to take steps of faith, to take risks as we follow the Lord. It's not to punish us. It's not to make us feel guilty. But it is for the purpose of compelling us to action. It is compelling us to take steps of faith and to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. I also know this as we think about these different things. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? Everyone is not called to everything, but we are all called to something. We are all called to something. When we allow Jesus to lead us out of our comfort zones into the uncomfortable, when the foundation is Jesus Christ, the more that we act upon Jesus' teaching, a strengthening continues to develop in our life. And many of you would say you've experienced this. There was a a time you'd say in your past that you took a risk and you actually did what Jesus said to do. And it was stepping into resistance. It was stepping into the uncomfortable. It was stepping into the difficult. It was stepping into the unknown. But you would say at the other side of the difficult, at the other side of the resistance, at the other side of the unknown, you grew closer to your heavenly father. You grew closer to your heavenly father and you became better equipped to endure the storms of life that came your way. Where we strongly resist the leadership of Jesus may be where we need him the most. Where we strongly resist the leadership of Jesus may be where we need him the most. I recently read about a man named Craig Greenfield. By his own words, he grew up in affluence. And he said that as a a young man, his dream was to be wealthy. He said he wanted a mansion and he wanted a fast car. But somewhere along the line, Jesus totally interrupted the trajectory of his life. He took an extended trip to Cambodia and God opened his eyes to the spiritual need, opened opened his eyes to what compassion means and Craig's life was redirected toward missions with a big heart for the poor, for the marginalized, marginalized, and those pushed to the sidelines. In his book, Subversive Jesus, Craig writes about moving his family with his young children to Vancouver's downtown east side. And they said, what would happen if we really took living out the teachings of Jesus to the next level? Now, when we talk about Vancouver's downtown east side, we're talking about Canada's Vancouver, not Washington State's Vancouver, but Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, is known as a place where there are several thousand people living in drug addiction, in homelessness, and prostitution. And Craig writes about how with a friend, he even slept outside for a long time, many nights in a row, on the streets, eating at soup kitchens for the purpose of connecting with people. 
he writes that what he found, people who had been through deep rejection, living lonely and isolated. So they responded, this family with their young children responded with what they describe as radical hospitality. The Greenfield family invited the poor over for dinner. They invited the homeless. They invited people who they met panhandling. They invited local drug addicts. They invited women working in prostitution. And they write about one particular day where they decided to make cookies and lemonade and bring them to the drug dealers on the streets and then no one showed up. He says on this journey, people cheated us and disappointed us. But then eventually, many of them became great friends. Is God calling all of us to do what this family did? I don't think so. But what we do see is God-given relationships that happened on the other side of uncomfortable. God-given relationships that happened on the other side of uncomfortable. Jesus crossed social and cultural barriers. Jesus talked with people from different backgrounds who had different beliefs. Jesus challenged his followers to love and pray for people who would be considered enemies. Jesus once challenged a crowd to devote their energy to seeking the eternal life that he offers. What I love about this real moment is that Jesus even tells this crowd, stop complaining. Stop complaining. And he says this in John 6, verse 63, human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you our spirit and life. To follow Jesus is to take a step toward spirit and life. To live out the teachings of Jesus Christ, it is life-giving, not life-depleting. And I want to tell you this, and many of you already know this. If you choose to follow Jesus, either he already is or he will at some time challenge you to do something that is very difficult. He will challenge you to do something that is hard. He may challenge you to let go of something that you deeply care about for the purpose of following him. And it is not to punish you. In fact, it is very much the opposite. Because many of us would say today that we did what at one point seemed difficult. It seemed harsh. Maybe it even at first reaction we were offended. But we would say that as we chose to step out of our safety circle, it is in those moments that we grew closer to our Heavenly Father than ever before. It is in those moments that we developed a strength to endure when things are not going well around us. We would say that we experienced that strengthening that Jesus talked about as we lived out his teachings, not just listened, lived out his teachings as people who are doers of the word. As I think about the role of being the pastor of this church, 
I'm convinced that at the end of the day, I will not be held accountable for how well this church family listened to my sermons. I will be held accountable for how this church lived out the teachings of Jesus. How we live out what the Bible describes to us. So church, we will make a difference as we increase in being doers of the word. We will make our greatest difference in Salem and around the world the more that we are doers of the word. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.